and welcome to the Outside of Taking podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing Ponzi schemes and Bernie Madoff, the man who saw $65 billion. Zane, over to you. Alright, so a lot of people would have noticed a theme going on that we're talking about crimes. That's not worrying at all. It's not worrying at all. And the one that we've been talking a lot about is financial and white-collar crimes. Because it's always interesting to hear about how the criminal outthinks people as opposed to hitting them with a baseball bat. <laughs> what? So Bernie Madoff... Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. Oh. wait. So you have a we'll dark side. We'll, we'll repeat that <laughs> again. Okay. No, carry on, carry on. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Bernie Madoff, born in New York in 1938. He lived through the Great Depression and... Coming out of it, his parents decided to get involved in the finance world. They started a business, but in 1964 it got shut down by the SEC. So, give or take a few, take a few years uh, in the future, with $5,000 seed money, he started Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, LLC. It had a good start and a decent reputation as a market maker. A market maker is a type of firm which basically sells when people buy and buys when people sell in order to introduce liquidity or actual physical cash in the market. So the way they make profit is using a bid-ask spread. And all it simply does is basically vary the price, if that makes sense. I don't want to get into it too, into too much detail, but the asking price of a security is different to the actual price when managed by okay. this firm. And this basically means that, for example, they ask for more money when someone buys it. And, sorry, no, they buy it for less money than the actual price and sell it for more money than the actual price, which generates a slight profit for each uh, security sold. And this man had a very good reputation. Uh, Do you guys know any examples of the good things he did? Well, I, I was reading, and there's like a. I, I read this whole uh, section on his philanthropy. So, I believe after his son was diagnosed with a type of cancer, I think it was lymphoma, but I might be. Uh, I might be wrong on that. But he started donating money to an organization which dealt with uh, lymphoma. And then I also know he. He was like the chair of a lot of other like organizations. So like he was, he was yeah. He was a humanitarian. Yeah. and He actually helped form Nasdaq. You guys know what that is? Isn't it like one of the largest uh, stock exchanges? Or yeah, like one the of the largest. Ex- yeah, like the stock exchange. Uh, he helped form it, and he was the chairman for three terms actually. So he had a really big reputation. He was a big name in the USA. And investigators had actually been skeptical of him for decades. They couldn't find anything, but people just didn't trust his incredibly his huge returns his huge profits and it just looked too perfect for most people so in fact he was running a ponzi scheme i asked you guys to do a little bit of research into what a ponzi scheme is so do any of you understand what a ponzi scheme is do do you know how to explain it so um i don't know if anyone's watched the office um has anyone watched the office casual i feel like i think which one the American one, the good one. I've I've watched the first season. Oh, okay. okay. I, I'm 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 watching other stuff right now. All right. Well, you know that you should. Um, but basically, uh, it, the reason I say that is because pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes do come up in that as well. At one point, it's a comedy series, so nothing too serious. But basically, the way I understand it is, you get one person recruits 
two or three people who each recruit three or two or three people. And the later investors put in money, which the earlier investors, so the people who started off the scheme, benefit from. And that continues down the line. So later investors, so earlier investors benefit off of money invested by later investors. Problem with this is that not everyone can, will be willing to pay. Or also the fact that not everyone's going to be able to pay the same amount. So there's there's actually tons of problems because none of this is legally binding. Um, I'm sure Zayn knows much more of the like the proper economic uh, repercussions of this and why this is a greater problem. And it's also illegal. But that's the way I understand it. Is that more of a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme? Because I guess at least from my understanding of the Ponzi scheme, it was more so where um, you get investment from, um, let's say, a certain person of, um, for example, a million dollars, right? And then you pretend like you're investing that into the stock market. But in reality, like you just keep it into a separate bank account. And then as sort of the returns, you say, OK, I will give you um, 10% returns and I can guarantee from my way of um, like trading, I'll be able to give you 10% returns. And so all they actually do is reach back into the same um, bank account that they got the original million dollars from and then just give them like 10% of that like over a period of time. And then the only way they keep that up is by sort of getting more and more investors. And then this is something that um, he was able to do quite well because as Zane said, he was very um, respected in the industry. And so people believed him, like, quite generally at the time. And so if more and more people are keep on, like, investing in him, then he can, like, basically pay back using the money that people are investing in. Yeah, yeah um, I was, was going to say, like, um, speak, like, with you talking about um, him uh, putting it into, like, an account, I believe it was in Chase. So the, um, the, four, uh, the four founder of, like, uh, Chase and Morgan... And I believe they from that from that account made a profit of nearly half a billion dollars. So like that just shows you that the amount of money that he was that he had in that account. Yeah, uh, you guys are all correct actually. What Shal was asking as to whether it was a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme is that Sidant was describing what's more a pyramid scheme, while Shal was describing more of a Ponzi scheme. They're both very similar, and they both revolve around the redistribution of capital for profit of the members rather than actually gaining profit and income. That's what it is in simple terms. So, I mean, for example, you guys have seen Suits, right? You guys have seen Suits. About six times might I add. It's a really good show. Six times, whatever. Um, You guys know that in the the main firm in the series... In order to become a senior partner, you have to have. There's a buy-in clause where you have to pay. Was it forty thousand, something like it's that? It's more than that. Isn't it five hundred thousand? It's half a million. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's half a million. 000. Yeah, yeah. Where basically to become a member, you have to pay five hundred thousand as an investment into the firm. The idea is that this investment can be used to invest in securities and for other purposes for the firm to gain long-term profit. A Ponzi scheme would just be taking this money and using it to pay their salaries. Um, isn't it also that the reason that for the buy-in was also because you have sort of an equity in the firm that it's, you know, the reason your partner is because you're literally a business partner because you have literally, quite literally, bought into the firm. You've paid five hundred thousand. So part of the money that the firm earns is because of your financial contribution. Yeah, yeah. You become basically a shareholder. Yeah. But a Ponzi scheme 
a Ponzi scheme is strictly in terms of salaries. It's, I suppose this would also be used for dividends, but for the for the majority of the time, Ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes would be in terms of salaries. They're different. They're different things in the end. So Ponzi schemes were named after Charles Ponzi. He made the first Ponzi scheme, obviously, but Madoff had the largest Ponzi scheme in the world. This is the biggest one in the world, the most successful. But the disadvantage of it is that the firm isn't actually making any money. They're just taking money from people and redistributing it. And this is where one of the, one of its downfalls can come, because if everyone asks for their money back, then he's not going to have it. This actually happened to Madoff during the recession in 2008. It was in early March when everyone started demanding their money back because of all sorts of uncertainty, and he couldn't come up with it. This is part of the reason why recessions and other forms of crises can expose scandals like this. But if the recession didn't happen, he could have still been doing this today. Something to think yeah. about. I was, I was going to say, like, just uh, speaking about, like, when he possibly could have been caught, I also remember reading how... There was, I think it was a financial analyst in like the 1990s had actually uh, basically accused him of uh, financial fraud and had basically mathematically proven that his uh, gains and like what he's been doing was impossible, but he was basically ignored. And like what he was saying, like no one really like took out seriously, no one like properly looked into him. So, like, he could have definitely been discovered earlier, but there were loads of things which happened which meant that he wasn't. Um, uh, what yeah, should so... about this? Ah, okay. Well, Zane go first, then Shao, then I. I mean, that's what I was going to say. What What did you want to add? Oh, Shao, what were you going to add? Um, yeah, so as sort of Kush was saying, I think it was Harry Markopoulos, where um, at the time, actually, there weren't meant... Because of his sort of... Um, status in the business like being the head of nasdaq etc like there were very few people who did um even try to question him at the time it was mainly after the fact that more people sort of looked into it but even during the time akush said there was uh, this person called harry markopoulos who was who brought um this to the attention of the government and like the um right organizations but then although he was able to sort of mathematically prove that it's very very unlikely and sort of show that um, he was having consistent returns despite, like, no matter what the stock market was doing, like, he'd, even if the stock was going down, he'd still somehow, like, make money. Um, because it was sort of still speculation, there wasn't any hard evidence. And because of, like, his status, the government, like, nobody really looked into it that much or, like, had the ability to look into it. Um, but there were so- some people who were um, quite hesitant to believe that he was able to do this and were, did think that it was some sort of Ponzi scheme or some illegal business. I think part of the reason why he got away with it and the reason why a lot of people believed him was because of an algorithm he made. So this algorithm basically manipulated trade reports and a trade report is something that's mandatory. It's a report you have to release which tells, every, which tells the public and makes the prices uh, transparent and basically allows everyone to know the, you know, the securities they've bought, the securities they've sold, etc. Um, I just want to bring you up on that. So you said, um, you know, you have to publish a trade report that every trader has to do that. But then, I mean, I know it's highly improbable, but not 
all financial analyses are completely foolproof. There can be some trades which seem statistically like it's not possible to do it without insider trading, for example. But then someone might have done it through some sort of... I mean, again, I recommend the film The Big Short for people who are old enough to watch it. Again, we do not condone people who are too young to watch films to watch films. We are not that kind of podcast. But, um, you know, like in that, they did have lots of... The, the, the main characters made a bet that everyone else thought was stupid. And so they were at some point, I think they were police organizations were looking into them for insider trading or, or trying to actually depreciate the stock value on their own. And because they knew they were going to depreciate the stock value on their own, that's why they capitalized on that. Right. But that's not true. I mean, these that's I've realized that the world of finance, especially with the 2008 financial crash and, you know, these huge financial crises with the recessions. The reason this happens is because there's some sort of unforeseen circumstance which naturally happens. It's, it's you know, someone makes a trade which no one else thought would have been possible, if you get what I mean, right? Like, they, and because no one would have thought of doing it, they suspect insider trading or they suspect some sort of foul play. So, and obviously, like, equations and maths and analysis would show you that well, before, at least, before all these big things happen, analysis would show you that those things should be impossible. They shouldn't have been able to do that. Afterwards, you'll factor in, and so suddenly equations and analysis will be like, oh, actually, that was a genius move. No one thought of that. So I just want to say, like, you know, it's I'm not condoning Bernie Madoff. Like, obviously, he was it was really bad to take 65 billion. Um, but it's it's interesting to think that numbers don't always tell the full truth as well, and analysis can be flawed. I'm wondering. Oh wait, Zane, do you want to go on with that? I mean, I was just going to say, I'm wondering why you're talking a lot about insider trading. Well, because because it's I think well at least through media or or, or films, it's seen as the most common sort of crime in the financial world. That's why I'm talking about it, and it's completely not to do with the fact that I don't understand any other type of financial foul play. No, definitely not. <laughs> I, 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 but um, no, it, it yeah. I, I think that insider trading is something. I, I forgot. I, there was some case, and I've completely forgotten what it was. Um, where someone didn't do insider trading, uh, they just had a hunch, and they played on that hunch, and they made up. Made they ended up making a huge amount of money for their firm, and the reason for that was because they had a hunch, but everyone told them they were wrong, and so they thought they insider traded. And this, you know, again, Bernie Madoff was a bad guy, but because numbers suggested that he was right and his reputation suggested that what he was doing was correct and that the Ponzi scheme that he made was working through numbers, it shows you that numbers aren't always true. The fact is, though, you know, you have to you do have to realize that even though the numbers might not have added up, people might have just been like, it's fine. It's Bernie Madoff. You know, he's respected at the time or whatever. They'd be like, yeah, it's fine. Obviously, we now know that's not true. Bernie Madoff was doing something really bad. Um, but yeah, that was that was my point. I just want to quickly jump in there. And I'm quite conscious that I'm not sure if we've actually defined what insider trading is yet for some people may not already know. So I think um, insider trading is basically when you buy and sell stocks and use um, information that isn't publicly available to your own advantage. So um, a big thing about sort of the stock exchange is that generally... Um, people should have quite, it should be quite like open and free, right? 
And so it's unfair if certain, let's say if the CEO of a company knows that um, a company is about to have a big new release and therefore they know their stocks are going to rise. It's sort of, and that's not publicly available information, it's unfair for them to then um, use that and then just buy a bunch of um, stocks while it's cheaper and then sell it when it gets more expensive. And so that's why that's illegal, just to give put out there. Yeah, that's that's a good definition. I'm actually going to move it on because we're a bit short on time. So we're getting on to the final debate. Why is is a Ponzi scheme actually good? Is it actually an effective scam or is it not an effective scam? So based on what we can see with Bernie Madoff, obviously he ran the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world and he made $65 billion off it. But something interesting is that this is from a quote... Uh, he never expected to get away with it for this long. What yeah, we well, I was gonna say like he'd he'd been um investigated by the SEC since like nineteen ninety two, with in like forward investigations, so, and like he'd been constantly investigated since then, like, and multiple people from that point onwards had basically said that he was doing something illegal. They didn't know exactly what it was, but they were, they knew he was doing something fraudulent. And on top of that, he... I believe he also... Um, he started using, like, Irish funds, and like later on, um, before he was caught, I think in, like, the mid-2000s, and, like, people... And the Irish government had, spilled, had failed to spot that. So, like, he made a lot of, I'd say, errors, or, or, and a lot of people noticed those errors. So, I can understand why he um, thought that he'd be, he would have been caught earlier, because a lot of people, because, like, he'd been uh, sort of called out by a lot of people saying that what he was doing is definitely illegal. Shall? Sudan, what do we make of that? So, I mean, I don't, I think that it was effective for him specifically, and it has been effective before. So, for example, the Charles Ponzi, as you um, mentioned, but I think one of the big reasons that it was sort of effective for as long as it was is because of their unique position and the fact that they were so highly respected. Let's say, for example, if I were to randomly come and say, hey, give me a um, a million dollars and I'll guarantee a 10% return every year then very few people are going to trust that and if I do make good on that promise and I'm somehow able to play the stocks to get a um, consistent payback then people can be more likely to assume that there's some sort of foul play but then um, I think it's interesting to see that even with somebody like um, Bernie Madoff who was so like highly respected and was arguably in the best position to pull up a Ponzi scheme, in the end he was still also like caught out and maybe it would have lasted a bit longer if there wasn't the financial crisis but I think that like it was eventually going to be figured out and so I don't think it is actually extremely effective in the long long run. Yeah, I agree actually. Ponzi schemes I don't think they're going to last even 10 years. I think Madoff just got lucky because the fact is, recessions and crises happen, you can expect them to happen at least once a decade. And that's always going to expose a Ponzi scheme because people are going to demand their money back. And with the simple structure of a Ponzi scheme, maybe maybe Ponzi scheme can work, but pyramid scheme, and as well as Ponzi schemes, 
you can't expect them to last that long because you've guaranteed people money and you're using other people's money. Sorry, you're using their money to pay other people money. And you're, you're, you can't really expect to make much from it in the end. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode on Ponzi schemes and Bernie Madoff, the man that made $65 billion due to a fraudulent financial idea. We hope you learned, learned something in this episode and enjoyed it. Most importantly, we hope you don't choose a life of crime because as we have shown you, it does not work no matter what Zayn says. And we would also like to continue the conversation. So if you guys want to talk to us, uh, please hit us up on Instagram at OTWT podcast or leave us an email. Um, you can also keep watching our page on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the other podcasting sites for information about our newest episodes. And we hope to see you guys soon. Thank you very much for coming and see you in the next episode.